Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Teaching topics that are sensitive, personal, or even taboo can be extremely difficult. The skills needed go far beyond good pedagogy and many other considerations need to be addressed. To discuss best practices and strategies for teaching sensitive topics, I'm joined by a person running a groundbreaking program that is teaching sexual assault prevention strategies to young women in Canada. Dr. Sarah Crane is an adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Windsor in Canada. She is the co-principal investigator on a Public Health Agency of Canada grant to adapt and evaluate the Enhanced Assess Acknowledge Act Sexual Assault Resistance Program, also known as Flip the Script Program. This program is aimed at women in their first year of university and now also being adapted to adolescent girls and teaches them ways to defend themselves against sexual violence. The program also addresses topics such as the definition of consent, discusses positive attitudes about sex, and addresses society's pattern of victim blaming. Flip the Script has proven to be a very effective program, and I'm so glad to have Sarah here to discuss how they address the teaching of such sensitive topics. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me a little bit about the Flip the Script program and why it is so unique? Sure. So Flip the Script is a feminist sexual assault resistance program that's designed for young women of all sexual identities and lived experiences. And it was developed through about a 10-year process of research and evaluation that was led by Dr. Charlene Sen, who's a professor at the University of Windsor and who I'm working with on our adaptation for teen girls. And so the program is 12 hours long and it consists of four three-hour units that are designed to help young women gain knowledge, skills, and confidence to effectively resist sexual assault but to do it in a way that doesn't limit their personal freedom or choices, right? So it doesn't tell them what they should or should not do in any situation. Mm -hmm. And it does not hold them responsible for sexual assault. And in fact, explicitly holds perpetrators responsible for, for any assault. So over the course of the 12 hour program, the young women learn to identify risk for sexual assault in men's behaviors and in sort of the situa- social situations or their environment. They learn to overcome the emotional barriers to acknowledging that a situation that they're in may have turned coercive. They learn sort of a toolbox of evidence-based skills to verbally and physically fight back when they're faced with someone who's trying to assault them. And then they learn to identify their own sexual and relationship values and boundaries and sort of have this space to really think about what kind of sexual activity they do or do not want um, so that they're not thinking about these things for the first time sort of Mm. in the moment with a partner. And so it's facilitated by two very highly trained young women who are sort of near peers, like they're close in age to the participants, but they've undergone a very immersive training experience on the program's philosophy and theory and delivery. So they're seen as relatable, but also as content experts. And 
program uses sort of this combination of teaching strategies. So there's games and mini lectures and facilitated group discussion and brainstorming ex exercises. And then we also use video and audio clips and scenarios and role plays to really apply that knowledge and do that skill building piece. Mm -hmm. And the final thing about it, sort of just describing the program is that we know that it's effective in reducing sexual assault sort of across the continuum of sexual violence. And many sexual assault prevention programs really just stick to trying to increase knowledge or changing attitudes about sexual assault. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we know that attitude change doesn't necessarily or most, most often does not lead to behavioral change. Mm -hmm. And so the strong theoretical foundation of the program and the amount of time that's really spent on applying new knowledge through practice opportunities kind of really sets Flip the Script apart from some of the other approaches to mm -hmm. sexual violence um, prevention or resistance. Well, that is extremely important work and also something that is very sensitive topic to approach. And I think that's the thing about sensitive topics, which is what we're focusing on today, is, is that often cloaked under an unknown. So we don't actually know the people who have experienced it around us. We don't really know much maybe about the different types of experiences because of the fact that it's sensitive. It's very rarely talked about. Is this what you find as well that makes it quite difficult to, to address? Yeah, one of the things that we, we hear from participants or we see kind of happening with, with participants who take the program is that they might not have had a lot of exposure to this topic. They might not know a lot about it. They might know the basics. You know, they know that, you know, sexual assaults can look different ways. You know, they've seen depictions of it in like TV or movies, right? So they like have a mm -hmm. sense of what it is and that it probably happens to a fair number of girls and women and also other folks as well, but they might not really know much more about it beyond that. Right. And so sometimes what happens is participants sort of over the course of taking Flip the Script really start to see not just like the problem of sexual assault, but kind of just their social worlds and their relationships with people in different ways. And this mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that they start seeing experiences that they've had as like, oh, okay, that was actually sexual assault. I didn't see it that way before, although that's certainly true for some women. Um, and, of, and they're provided with supports and resources in the event that that happens. But I think for a lot of uh, women who take the program, it, it's often more subtle than that. It's sort of realizing or thinking about the way that you interact with men in particular in your life in a, in a different way. So, you know, maybe you're boss or your coworker at work sometimes pesters you to hang out after work. And you just really thought about this as a bit annoying, a pester, a bother. But after taking Flip the Script, you actually now see this as what it is, which is persistence, which is a, a risk cue for sexual assault. And so sometimes the experience is that you start to see the issue in a different light. And then we also know that girls and women who take the program take the information back to the other girls and women in their lives, which is really wonderful. And we encourage mm -hmm. them to do, right? So they're talking to their friends, they're talking to their sisters, um, they're talking to their cousins. And, and we sort of, sort of see this ripple effect of information from the program being transmitted outward. That's fantastic. Because as you said, it's something that is not discussed very, very much, but it does actually happen quite a lot in society. And so mm -hmm. certainly something that should be aware of. So 
What does the experience look like? You explained the program, but as a student attending, what what does this experience look like? Sure. So the program's offered in small groups of about 15 to 20 young women, and it's typically delivered over either a full weekend, so like a full day on Saturday and Sunday, or weekly for four afternoons or evenings, so like you know four Tuesdays in a row, for example. And to sort of set the scene in the room where the partic- where the program's being held, there's chairs arranged in a semicircle facing the two facilitators who are sitting at the front of the room. There's a projector screen behind them because we use PowerPoint presentation as as part of the program. Uh, we like to make sure that the rooms as much as possible, which is sometimes hard on university campuses, but that they're bright and that they're comfortable, but also that there's privacy. And um, mm. so the women in the room can can feel secure and comfortable in having these discussions. The program's delivered in a, in a strictly girls and women only space. So even the catering staff who come in have to be women. Mm-hmm. And this is part of a really intentional design to try to support the emotional and physical safety of the women during the program. Um, you can imagine how jarring it would be if all of a sudden, like a group of men walked into the room when you're when you're having these discussions. So the participants arrive, they're greeted by the facilitators, they're invited to grab some food. We always have food and refreshments, which may seem like a really small detail, but it's actually very important for creating a comfortable environment where we can have these difficult conversations, right? Like how many times do we have challenging conversations over a meal with people? And they they receive a, a resource kit full of local resources for their community, but also some sort of more provincial or federal resources and online resources. And there's just kind of over the course of the 12 hours, lots of opportunities to get up, to move around. There's several scheduled breaks so that they have a chance to sort of rest and reset. And what we hear from participants, um, because they fill out an anonymous evaluation form at the end of each of the of the four units, mm-hmm. We receive really positive feedback. They often talk about the warmness and the approachability of the facilitators, how applicable the material is to their own lives, which is kind of connects back to what we were talking about before previously, where um, this is often not a well-known issue. And so the program really focuses on on bringing this issue into the lives of, in, of women and girls, um, mm-hmm. not in a way that scares them or makes them fearful, but so that they have a better understanding of of what sexual assault can look like so that they're better prepared to respond to it. We also hear that, you know, the food is very important. So we know that that's, that's sort of a key piece of increasing the comfort. So that's kind of in a nutshell what the experience would be like for someone in the program. Right. So it's really about having an open dialogue about a topic that is rarely discussed and bringing a lot of awareness and uh, and language around these issues and to become more aware on how to how to prevent something that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, really just creating a safe space where these conversations can happen because as you said, so rarely do these happen. You know, you might often like parents might talk to their their kids about um, safe sex practices for example, but I think rarely do those conversations also include discussions around um, consent, although that's probably changing sort of um, more recently, but I still think there's probably a lot of room for improvement. And we have these conversations around sexual assault, consent, sexuality, how they all fit mm-hmm. together um, as, a, as a society. And it's important to have this research-based information as well, which, yes. uh, which is very rare to have access to. So that's great. 
So this is a highly sensitive topic to teach, particularly as uh, some of the students might find it difficult to discuss, especially since it's rarely discussed in, in society. And also they might have had traumatic experiences that are being addressed, which I, I assume happens with, uh, with some students who might have already experienced mm -hmm. some of the things you're talking about. So what are the key strategies in teaching a topic as sensitive as this so that it is a positive and effective learning experience? So you talked about the environment, which is really important, and the context in which it's being discussed. But what are some of the teaching strategies that you use to address such a sensitive topic? Mm -hmm. And Flip the Script actually really addresses sort of two sensitive topics. There's the sexual assault component, but then there's also the fourth unit, which is focused on sexuality, which is kind of its own sensitive topic. A couple of things in addition to the environment. One is the intentional order of the material that's being delivered. So in pilot versions of the program, the sexuality unit actually came first but the feedback that we received from participants was that um, it didn't work coming first. They just, they were, it was too much too soon. They were not comfortable. They didn't have rapport with the facilitators or the other participants. And it was just, they shut down. So it was jumping into the topic too quickly. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and the sexuality piece too quickly. Right. Um, and I think often we might think that the sexuality component would or sorry, that the sexual assault component would actually be sort of seen as more sensitive. But in these participants' experience anyways, it was sort of the other way around. So we moved the sexuality piece of the program to the end. So it's now the fourth unit instead of the first unit. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have given that that gives women enough time to really get to know the other the other women in their group right they're spending nine hours together before they're jumping into the sexuality piece mm -hmm. and so they have a level of comfort that has been built up over time so sort of intentional ordering and being able to test the ordering of your content is really important. So important because so often you don't r realize the impact that it's having on the individuals. So like in exactly. any type of design, testing it with your audience, you find out so much that you weren't expecting, even though you have so much research and knowledge, but it's hard to predict how people perceive or react. And it's yes. important to do that kind of testing. But that's really interesting. So the so the structuring in terms of going into the topic that in a way that it builds rapport, which is obviously very important in a sensitive conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other strategy that is really important for, for our context is to have the program be scripted for the facilitators. And this might seem like really unnatural or uncomfortable for folks who are used to delivering programming in a much more organic way. But we find that teaching this type of material, um, because it is sensitive, because there is so much of it, like 12 hours is a, is a relatively long program. Mm -hmm. um, and in certain sections of the program, it's the content is fairly specific or technical. Mm -hmm. um, having a script for the facilitators is important for them to be able to deliver the content in a way that maintains the integrity of the program, mm -hmm. but also helps with that rapport building so that they're not stumbling or they're not seeming unsure right. about things. And they're also very highly trained and they're trained to read the script in a way that's really natural and has flow to it. And they, they all add their own style to it. That piece is also key to the design of the program. And then the third thing I'll just mention quickly is having ground rules. So, I mean, this is a fairly common strategy for a lot of 
group programming, but just at the beginning of the program, having the facilitators go through ground rules that are meant to make the safe, the space as safe as possible and comfortable as possible and make sure that the confidentiality of the participants is maintained. And that sort of gives them some reassurance that this really is a space where they can ask questions that they might not be able to ask elsewhere or have conversations that they weren't able to uh, previously have. And I like the fact that you said the scripting is important and the fact that the instructors are really trained really well so that it is not reading from a script, but it is really the training behind it is critical. Mm -hmm. The research that we've done to, or that we're currently doing to adapt the program for adolescent girls, we asked them specifically about the scripting and what they thought about it and how it impacted their experience in the program. And for the most part, they don't really notice it or even if, I mean, they can see the facilitator's with the script in their hand so they might notice it but for the most part it doesn't bother them they don't they don't feel like their experience was impacted anyway because the facilitators are so well trained to deliver it great that's fantastic what are some examples of how teaching this topic would be challenging and how you address that challenge mm-hmm. i think the biggest challenge is that participants come into the program with really diverse identities beliefs, values, cultural and religious backgrounds, um, family situations, like any number of different lived experiences. Some are sexual assault survivors, some are not. Some have had sexual experiences before, some have not. So really in any given session, you can get a question or a comment from a participant that is totally new, that you've, mm-hmm. you know, the facilitators have never had to to respond to before. Because the content is so sensitive and because so much work is being done by the facilitators to build that trust and rapport with the participants, it's really important that the the facilitators respond to those questions or comments that maybe catch them off guard or feel a little bit from left field Mm -hmm. um, in a way that doesn't jeopardize that rapport, doesn't leave that participant feeling embarrassed or shamed or like they should have not asked that question. And so having the facilitators react in a way that doesn't show any sort of shock or discomfort mm-hmm. with that, right? We need them to appear calm, non-judgmental, because as I said, like flip the script is really trying to be a space where participants can ask anything. And it's a space where the decision to have sex is normalized and the decision to not have sex is also normalized. And we have participants that come in with really high levels of sexual knowledge mm-hmm. and or experience and others that come in with very little. And you really can't presume that this maps on to age, right? When we when we started doing the adaptation for teens, I think we sort of thought like, oh, you know, the older girls, like the 16, 17 year olds, like they're likely to have more knowledge about these things than the younger girls. And mm-hmm. and we found that that's, that's really not true. So mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time giving the basics uh, to everyone. So in the relationships and sexuality unit, for example, we spend time at the very beginning doing an overview of anatomy mm-hmm. and we provide definitions and explanations for many words or concepts that you know, as adults, we might think everyone would understand, but actually it turns out that maybe we do need to explain it. Like orgasm is a good example of that. That's the kind of one of the big challenges is just the diversity in the participants and in their experiences and their knowledge. And then making sure that the facilitators are well-equipped to respond to those questions uh, or comments in a way that maintains 
the comfort in the group doesn't result in any participant feeling like they don't belong or that they actually don't want to be in that space. That's really important. That's definitely really, really important. And what kind of tips do you give to your other than discussing it and really going through these different scenarios with the instructors? What kind of tips do you give in how to handle that kind of neutral responses to to make sure that they're giving neutral responses? Yeah. So a big part of the training that they go through is doing uh, run-throughs of all of the program or all of the the units, I should say. They work through mock interactions with participants. So, you know, we plant, when we do the training, we plant questions in the audience that we've set up to kind of ask a shocking question or ask a question that we know the facilitators probably don't have experience answering to give them an opportunity to actually practice that. And then we give them really detailed feedback on how they responded. So feedback on, you know, sort of what their facial expressions looked like when that question was being asked, things like that. And then we also have them practice saying words or talking about topics in advance so that they don't show any sense of discomfort or hesitation. Clitoris is, is a good example of, mm-hmm. you know, a word that some facilitators have to practice so that, mm. you know, when it comes to teaching that content, they are able to be very confident in the material that they're teaching. And um, yes. that just helps build comfort in the group because the participants see, you know, these relatable kind of like usually kind of young, cool looking facilitators talking about these issues, especially the sexuality component, not as if it's no big deal. It's it's a serious topic that needs to be taken seriously, but that yes. they are they have a level of comfort with it that the participants might not be used to seeing in other p- places in their lives. Absolutely. That level of comfort and confidence and normalizing these topics that are not mm-hmm, discussed. Exactly. That's really good. So what do you find students find most difficult in learning such a personal and sensitive topic? What are, what are the students most challenged by? Yeah. So I think it's actually kind of what I was speaking to before about really seeing some of their own personal experiences in a different way, almost like they entered the program and it was sort of an abstract topic to them. Like mm-hmm. I said, they they might know a bit about it, but really like, you know, it's a problem that affects other people. It doesn't affect it doesn't affect people in my life or it doesn't affect me. Yes. And then through the process of taking flip the script, it becomes a more tangible reality to them, right? Because they've learned about things like the, pre- the true prevalence rates of sexual assault. They've learned about these danger cues in the guys that they know in their lives. They've practiced developing resistance strategies using scenarios that look very similar to their own lives. And so it, it really kind of puts this abstract topic in, like pulls it into their lives so they can see how it's relevant to them. Right. And through that process, again, they, they see their... Pre- some of them see their experiences in a different way. So I think that that is probably one of the most difficult things um, mm. in learning about such a, a personal and sensitive topic. Right. When you start relating it to your own life and and seeing things that maybe you didn't quite realize before. Mm-hmm. And so with all the training that the instructors have, which is really detailed and and wonderful, what do they still find most challenging when they're in this scenario and teaching this? Yeah, so I am not a facilitator myself, but I have trained and supervised facilitators for several years. So this is sort of based on my own perspective from the the role that I occupy. But I think two two main challenges stand out to me. Um, the first 
really has to do with meeting the young woman where she is. Mm-hmm. So the facilitators um, that are hired, they're very knowledgeable. They're um, even before they're trained in flip the script, like many are graduate students who are taking women and gender studies courses or who are training to be social workers or who, you know, who are professionals out in the field. Many have been doing violence prevention work for a while or, you know, they're very well versed in feminist thought. Mm-hmm. And because they're so knowledgeable on this topic, one of the challenges is really in remembering that most of the young women in the room don't have that same level of knowledge. Like some mm-hmm. do, but but most don't. And so I think a concrete example of this is when participants make comments in response to an activity uh, where they're watching a video that depicts the sexual assault situation. And sometimes uh, participants make comments that um, the woman in the scenario is at fault. Mm -hmm. And so the facilitators, you know, their, their gut instinct might be to react in a way that's like, you know, how could you think that? Like, of course, it's not her fault. And they do need to respond to that comment immediately so that victim blaming isn't kind of lingering in the space. Because of course, there are probably always survivors of assault mm-hmm. in the room. And that just feeds into rape myths and all those mm-hmm. things. But the facilitators need to do additional teaching around victim blaming in that moment, but they need to do it in a way that doesn't shut that participant down. So that is a teachable moment. It's a, exactly. It's a teachable moment. And that participant is not left feeling, oh, well, this program's not for me, or I wish that I hadn't come here, or now I'm feeling really embarrassed, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, I didn't know that because you haven't taught that to me yet. Doing that education piece in a really gentle way so we don't, we don't lose that participant. Yeah, that is a hard thing to, to remember when you're immersed in a topic and someone says something that goes completely against you don't react the same way you would to someone else who's also immersed in that topic and knows what you know Uh, it's not a discussion it's a teachable experience which is a very different type of conversation so that especially with sensitive topics that can be hard to remember because you do want to react as if it were a conversation of as you said why would you even say that but that's it's a different type of conversation it's a teachable conversation Exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And I think um, the second challenge for facilitators, because they are so deeply immersed in this difficult topic, often for long stretches of time, is that it can just it can be really emotionally challenging for them as Mm -hmm. well. And I think that's that's true for anyone who's doing work sort of in in sensitive areas. And so that's why we have two facilitators uh, run each session. One is the lead facilitator who doesn't run most of the program, but like does a large portion of it. And then the other facilitator kind of functions in more of a support role for that lead facilitator. And we have regular check-ins, open lines of communication between the team um, and between the trainers and the facilitators to make sure that the facilitators are feeling supported and that they have, you know, the sort of the stamina and the, and the mental headspace to, to keep doing this work. Yes, that is definitely really important. That's great. You outlined so many really important points on how the careful design of this program, every detail is designed in a way that is really there to support and to educate the students. But is there any other piece of advice that you would give to someone who is designing a course regarding a sensitive topic? Is there something that you would want to share that advice that you have? 
I would really encourage folks to look at what programs already exist mm-hmm. um, on the topic that they're interested in developing programming on to see if they can use either full programs or pieces of existing programs for their specific purposes. Like there are, are existing evidence-based programs that have more than a few components that you could probably adapt for your own needs, Mm. speaking about sexual assault prevention specifically. And Flip the Script is based on that philosophy as well. So the the self-defense component is adapted from Wendo Women's Self-Defense existing program, and the Relationships and Sexuality Unit is adapted from the Our Whole Lives Sexuality Curriculum. Mm -hmm. So, and that was sort of Charlene's approach when when she started developing this program was like, let's not reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, If there is already really good programming, evidence-based programming that's been evaluated that we can draw from. So that would be kind of my, my one piece of advice for folks who are looking at developing new programs for sexual assault prevention. Specifically, there's a great resource done by the CDC called Stop Sexual Violence Technical Package, and you can get it for free online. And it reviews and recommends high quality sexual assault prevention programs that target different groups. So, you know, girls and women like Flip the Script, boys and men, school environments, and so on. So sort of check what's out there. I would also say in that vein, reach out to the organizations in your community that are doing the work that you want to do. So as academics, reaching out to the local sexual assault centers who are doing this work on the ground every day, because they're the experts in the community on this topic. So yeah, having seen what's out there and then starting to have conversations with people who are doing this work is I think a really great place to start. That is a really important point to make because with anything that is of quality, there's a lot of thought and a lot of work that goes into it. And as you said, you don't always have to start from scratch. And there's a lot of great resources out there that you can pick from. And also there's nothing better than connecting with others who are doing the same type of work and and learning from each other and supporting each other in that. So that is so true for, for all sorts of different programs. So that thank you for highlighting that. So looking back, what is the greatest lesson that you and your team have learned about making such a program a success? Yeah, you actually just identified it. So um, it, it is connecting with other people. Flip the Script was not created in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, it draws on and adapts and extends work that was pioneered by other feminist researchers and educators and activists. And so connecting with those folks, also realizing that doing like sexual assault prevention programming specifically, but I think also kind of any developing any program or doing any sort of intervention work that addresses a complex issue, you know, it's going to be a time consuming process. And Charlene says, you know, when she started out, she knew it was going to take a long time if she wanted to develop an effective program, Yes, but she didn't really have the idea that it would take decades <laughs> and the work is sort of going on about 20 years now. Mm. Um, and there's still so much work to be done on the program. We're mm. obviously in the middle of adapting it for teens. There is an adaptation for trans uh, non-binary and gender non-conforming students that's currently being explored. An that's online app adaptation has currently been explored. So 
any type of work like this really is sort of this decades long endeavor. And, and that's just for one program. So recognizing that you can't do everything, you can't solve the whole problem by yourself. But if you are connected with folks who are doing related but different pieces, then you can all focus on your one piece and do it really well. Mm -hmm. And then when all of those pieces come together, then hopefully you'll see the change that you're looking for. But yeah, just supporting the work of people who are doing similar work to you, um, having them support you, talking to each other, having dialogue with them can be overestimated and how important that is. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is extremely important to learn from others and to support the work of others, because there's so many complex things in this world that need to be solved and to do it well you really do need to collaborate and to to pull the resources and knowledge from others doing similar. So that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you. And if anyone is interested in participating in Flip the Script program, where should they go? Yeah, so the list of post-secondary institutions that are current that's currently offering Flip the Script is constantly growing, um, and the program is now being offered outside of universities in some communities. So mm-hmm. really the best way to find out if there's an opportunity to take the program near you is to contact the SARE Center, which is a not-for-profit started by Charlene Sen that oversees the delivery and training and implementation of the program. And Shannon, who's the amazing administrator for the SARE Center, can give you um, information about where you might connect to a program near you. If you're a university or if you're not a student, if you're like local sexual assault center or local uh, women's organization doesn't offer Flip the Script and you're interested in learning about how you could get that process started to bring it into your community, also definitely reach out to the SARE Center, which is SARE, uh, S-A-R-E for Sexual Assault Resistance Education Center.org. And Shannon would be happy to, to give that information. I'll plug our upcoming research project because this is another way that teen girls can take the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be starting the final phase of our our teen adaptation research, where we're going to be recruiting about 900 young women who are between the ages of 14 and 18 years old and who have not yet graduated high school uh, to take Flip the Script as part of an evaluation study of this new pro- this new version of it for teens. And that'll be starting in the fall, provided COVID allows us to start doing that research. So you can find updates for when we're going to be looking for participants for that study on our project social media, um, which is on Instagram, we're at girls.resist. And on Twitter, we're um, at girls underscore resist. Perfect. And of course, all of those links are also going to be in the show notes. So that would be wonderful for people to take a look and spread the word as well. Yes. So yeah, please reach out. We're we're happy to connect you with the folks who are doing this, who are who are providing the program in the community. Wonderful. Well, you are doing incredible work, very important work, and approaching it. Thank you. In such a, a thoughtful, a research-based, quality way. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us and talking about your program and also how other programs can help develop who are also dealing with very sensitive topics. So thank you very much. But before we end, I would like to ask you, as I ask all the guests, for a recommendation, either a book or a movie, article that inspires you and our listeners might be interested in? Yeah. So I actually, I have two. Okay, um, great. So the first is a book. It's called, I never called it rape, 
by a journalist named Robin Warshaw, mm-hmm. and it provides a really accessible look at the sort of hidden epidemic of acquaintance sexual assault. And it's based on a research project um, that was completed in the late 80s, early 90s. So although it is a bit dated, it is still very, very relevant. And it's it's an accessible way to learn more about this topic. And then the other recommendation for um, any women identified folks who are listening is to take a a Wendo women's self-defense course. Mm -hmm. Um, I think their website will be linked in the show notes. Um, It's part of the Flip the Script program, and it's just an absolutely wonderful, empowering way to spend a weekend. Um, Great. Yeah, I hope those are of interest to folks. It sounds really interesting. So thank you very much for sharing that. Well, Sarah, this was a really wonderful conversation, really enlightening, and I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you.